This is New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. If you're enjoying this podcast, the best thing that you can do for the show is to tell somebody else about it. Help spread the word and take a moment to rate and review us on your podcasting app. Christopher Mallett grew up in San Diego in the 1990s when just about everybody had a pop punk band, and he was no different. He was pretty excited to do some shredding on his electric guitar. He knew he wanted to go to school for music once he graduated from high school, and he ended up taking a classical guitar program at the local community college. That's where he discovered he could play really cool things on a classical guitar. It's also when he first discovered the music of Justin Holland, who is a black pioneer of American classical guitar music. Chris's story of discovery is pretty fascinating, and we'll hear about it as we learn about his new recording, which celebrates guitar works and arrangements of Justin Holland. This week on New Classical Tracks from American Public Media, I'm Julie Elmacher. Christopher, let's just start right at the top and have you introduce yourself, um, what it was like growing up in San Diego in the 90s and when you got that first electric guitar and how you found your passion for the classical guitar. Yeah, growing up in 90s in San Diego was a pretty special time, I think, for music, especially the early 2000s, right near the end of when I was in middle school and high school. And that was right around the time that my parents got me my first guitar, which was in eighth grade. In the early 2000s, there was, um, similar to what happened in Seattle with the, the grunge boom in the early 1990s, in the early 2000s, there was a pop-punk boom. So everybody, I mean, everybody had a band. Every bar turned into a venue. Everybody was playing pop-punk somewhere. So, of course, I started a pop-punk band and got pretty serious about it. You know, we played gigs almost every single weekend. But I really wanted to play just more solos in the guitar, you know? So growing up and listening to a lot of classic rock, I would, you know, play along with Led Zeppelin solos and Jimi Hendrix and all of that stuff. But naturally, like any electric guitarist who's into classic rock, I progressed to playing more metal. And uh, some of the early metal musicians I really liked were um, Metallica and and Pantera, so I would try to learn their solos. But then I found Yngwie Malmsteen, and that's when everything changed for me in high school. It kind of blended the two styles of music that I was really into, rock and classical. So I spent my time trying to learn Yngwie Malmsteen solos. And, you know, this guy would play with orchestras, electric guitar, almost like Vivaldi or like uh, Paganini style, but on, uh, on the electric guitar. But by the time I finished high school, I knew that I wanted to be a professional musician in some capacity. I just wasn't sure um, how to go about it. So um, I heard that the local community college called Grossmont College had a really good classical guitar program. So I said, what the heck? I enrolled. I wasn't sure really what classical guitar was. Um, I thought it would be something that would make me better on electric guitar so I could learn those neoclassical solos by Yngwie Malmsteen. But in the first class, the teacher, Fred Benedetti, who still teaches there to this day, 
at the very end of the, the first class, he played two pieces, Mulligania and Asturias. And that's kind of when just my whole world shifted and changed. Um, from there, I knew that what I wanted to do was play classical guitar. I had no idea that one guitar can sound like multiple guitars, you know, just voices everywhere, the speed, the scales, everything that I really wanted in, in music and guitar. He played that day with those two pieces. So I went home, told my parents that I needed to get uh, a classical guitar because I went to the first few classes with my electric guitar. And um, my teacher told me, like, he, when I walked in, he said, why do you have, you know, like, this is a classical guitar class. And I was like, ah, you know, I'm just here to learn, get better on electric guitar. But he quickly changed my mind after that first class. So um, I bought a classical guitar and never turned back. So those two years of community college served you well. You ended up going to Oberlin Conservatory, and from there you uh, headed off to Yale. Tell me a little bit about what that transition was like and then how it led you to forming your own music school and your own uh, ensembles. Yeah, so during my time at Grossmont, I was actually really lucky to be there at that moment. There were so many really good classical guitar students there. I remember, you know, there were students that were playing these really intricate Bach pieces. There were students that were playing Nikita Koshkin, this famous Russian contemporary classical guitar composer. And they were playing at conservatory level. And most of them actually went on to study at conservatory. So I think being around all of those guitarists and hearing them, how, how you know, amazing they sounded and just getting my butt kicked made me really want to practice hard. And then I saw that one um, of my classmates was at the San Francisco Conservatory Music. So I kind of set my sights into going into a conservatory, specifically San Francisco Conservatory. Um, And I went up there, I visited, I auditioned, I got in, but there was another audition that I saw and it was Oberlin Conservatory and they were doing regional auditions and they came through San Diego. So I looked up the school, never heard of Oberlin before, never been to Ohio in my life. (laughs) And I was like, well, this looks kind of cool. You know, this is like an actual campus. It will feel like a college experience. I did my audition. I got in. Um, The teacher there, uh, Stephen Aaron, reached out and said, you know, I'll get you as much scholarship as you need to come here. And so, you know, that was just an offer I couldn't turn down. And it was one of the best choices I ever made. Um, Steve Aaron is a great friend now and colleague and one of the best teachers that I've ever had. Um, And... Oberlin was just an amazing place. You know, it was the first time in my life that I was 100% just completely immersed in music, you know, basically 24 hours a day. They had amazing facilities. I would stay in the practice rooms until midnight every night. The security had to kick me out on most nights, even weekends. My friends were like, come on out. I'm like, I got to practice. So, <laughs> yeah. um, but it was a great experience, and I loved, I loved Oberlin a lot. Then I saw that Yale had a, a music program, and I'd set my sights on Yale for a long time for several reasons. Um, I had seen a recording back when I was still at Grossmont, actually, on UC TV. It's the University of California. They had like a public access TV show. And this guitarist, Masut Ajin, um, who teaches at UC Santa Cruz, is which where I teach now, actually, and where I'm at today. He played a program and included a piece by Benjamin Verdery, who's the professor at Yale University. And um, it was a piece called Be Kind All the Time. And that piece blew my mind. So Yale was always kind of in the back of my mind. I kind of really liked what what Ben Verdery was doing with, you know, modern music and, and making guitar more accessible to everyone. So I had applied to Yale 
And I got in and again, you know, it was just the right choice for me. As soon as I got in, there was a festival called the Norfolk Festival in Connecticut. And that was right. That was the summer before I entered Yale. And the festival that year was teaming up classical guitarists and composers. So I looked at the roster before I got there. I was like, oh, I'm going to be teaming up with this guitarist named Thomas Flippin. And we're going to be playing a piece by this New York composer named Ray Lustig. So I got there and they gave us the piece that was already written. And Thomas and I read it together and we had a ton of fun. And I think right off the bat, we knew that we wanted to continue playing from each other from the very first day. And we're still playing today as Duo Noir. We just had a concert last week. We have a few more concerts coming up. But um, one thing that really kind of struck me about Thomas, and I think he'd probably say the same thing, is that when I met him, it was the first time that I had, that I had met another African-American classical guitarist. You know, I'm, I'm part African-American and my mother's Italian-American. So, you know, part black, part white. Um, but, you know, as as before I went to, to Yale, I was really curious, are there other, you know, African-American classical guitarists out there? You know, how many African-American composers are there? You know, there just weren't many. So it was something that was always on my mind. And I'd played a lot of music by like Scott Joplin and, and, and you know, composers, like arrangements of his piano pieces. So when I met Thomas, it was like, oh, wow, there's another African-American classical. So that's like we hit it off on not just like the music, the musical level, but we hit it off on on the level of just like realizing that this is amazing that we can both relate to each other in this way. That kind of leads us directly into this new recording then because Justin Holland was known as kind of the black pioneer of the classical guitar and his music is just now starting to come to the forefront in the last year or two um, we at APM actually I don't know if you know this but we um, commissioned we worked with Ernie Jackson who's a specialist in Justin Holland's music and uh, recorded I think 26 of those pieces and so when I saw your recording I was like oh wow um, because we hadn't heard a lot of Justin Holland so how did you come across the music of Justin Holland did you maybe discover it along with uh, Thomas Flippin, or how did he come to the forefront for you? Um, it brings us back to, to that two-year college, Grossmont. <laughs> it was, uh, so I was living at home when I was attending college there, and my dad, is he's an artist. So he was doing a series of, of etchings and paintings with like the background of, of these paintings or etchings would have some musical notes. So he would spend his time on like the Library of Congress website looking through different pieces of sheet music. You know, there was a one piece that he did, like the Bach double concerto and all these things. But anyways, he called me out. And he was like, hey, here's some guitar music. Check this out. So I read through it and I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. And then we looked up and we said, let's see who the composer is or the arranger. And it was Justin Holland. And I never heard of Justin Holland. So I went on to the search engine that was popular of the day, which was actually Yahoo, not Google yet. <laughs> and we looked up um, Justin Holland. Then we saw he was a, a black American classical guitarist and composer. And we're like, holy cow, this is amazing. Like, how come I never heard of him? How come, you know, I wasn't introduced to his music yet? I, you know, only heard of Soar and Giuliani and Carulli and those people from the 19th century, but nothing of Justin Holland. So I started digging into his music more and I came across the website 
of this guitarist named Donald Sauter. He was an amateur guitarist, and he spent a lot of time kind of cataloging his music on his blog and recording his music, just home recordings. And I reached out to him, and I asked him if he can go to the Library of Congress, because he lived out um, by D.C., if he could go to the Library of Congress and copy everything there that they had of Justin Holland's music and, and ship it to me. And, you know, a couple weeks went by, he didn't answer, and finally wrote back, and he's like, hey, uh, this is great, another Justin Holland fan, I'd love to go there and copy everything for you. And so, you know, I was like, how much do I owe you? Let's do this. And then about a month later, I got a package in the mail that was about a foot <laughs> thick of, of everything that Justin Holland had arranged that was at the Library of Congress. And that was when I started really digging into his music. Um, and started getting into it, and was, I saw that he had opera arrangements, he had you know arrangements of popular American tunes, he had arrangements of popular European tunes at the time. And uh, I just kind of carried that music around with me for years. I never really played it. I played you know little snippets here and there, I'd read through it, but a lot of times, you know, like especially at the time, people who would put on concerts or something like that, or it's just, you know, like his music is not great, you know, like no one really listened to it. No one gave it a chance, you know, and I started just like, you know, whatever, you know, I'll, I'll just study the classics. I'm, I'm a student, you know, I need to get my chops up and everything. And I just continued to carry his music around with me everywhere. And then after I graduated from Yale, I saw that they had the rest of his collection at Cal State Northridge. So I went up there and I copied everything that they had there as well. And then I had, you know, two feet, a two foot high uh, stack of sheet music by Justin Holland and continued to carry it around with me and played pieces here and there. And then it wasn't until 2020 that people started to take notice of Justin Holland's music. And I, you know, it was around the time of, of George Floyd, I think that people started looking up, um, you know, black composers, black classical guitarists, and then all of a sudden, you know, people are writing articles more about Justin Holland and people are starting to reach out to me and saying, can you record Justin Holland? So, yeah, I mean, it wasn't really until then that I think that people gave Justin Holland a fair shake. I played his music in several big series, you know, the St. Louis Guitar Society. Um, Thomas and I played some Justin Holland duos. We played them in Cleveland here and there, but it wasn't really like a continued interest. It was more of just like a novelty thing. And then I think that now people are actually listening to his music. And what my hope with this recording is that having it on a label like Noxos, the reason why I wanted it there was to have it in this catalog that will be there, you know, hopefully forever. And now, you know, when someone types in the name Justin Holland, it's somewhere that it would be easy to find and not just, you know, in the depths of, of the internet. I want to talk a little bit more about Justin Holland, the person, and then we'll dive into the music on the recording. He was also an alum of Oberlin Conservatory, which makes me wonder if you have in any way gone back to Oberlin and said, hey, let's pay attention to this fellow that graduated from here. Um, yeah, I mean, it's funny because before I applied to Oberlin, I had already heard of Justin Holland, but then I didn't even, I you know, I... I obviously knew that he went to Oberlin because I had read about him, but it's just kind of serendipitous that I you know, ended up at the same college as Justin Holland. I, I love that. Um, and it's just a great kind of part of, of the story with me and Justin Holland. But um, 
as I mentioned, I studied with Steve Aaron at Oberlin, and he's so fantastic. He actually invited me um, last year to give a lecture on Justin Holland at Oberlin Conservatory. So, yeah, I think that people in Oberlin, Cleveland especially, are really celebrating the life of Justin Holland even more than people in other parts of the country, especially because Justin Holland lived in Cleveland for, you know, most of his professional life. Justin Holland was not only an influential American classical guitarist of the 19th century, but he became a strong voice in the anti-slavery and civil rights movement. Do you know what his role was and the impact that he was able to have in that arena? Uh, yeah, so he chose to live in Cleveland after after he attended Oberlin because of just how they weren't necessarily abolitionists in Cleveland, but they definitely sympathized with the anti-slavery movement and they were very open-minded. And it was a place where Justin Holland and other uh, free blacks could live alongside of, you know, everyone else. And I think most of Justin Holland's life, he really just wanted to create equality for, for blacks, for black Americans. Um, in 1848 and 1854, he was the assistant secretary and a member of council at the Negro uh, National and State Conventions. Um, so, you know, he kind of was and worked, even some accounts that he worked alongside of Frederick Douglass. And, you know, a lot of these people at these conventions were really opposed of, of immigration. But later on, you know, it, things were getting a little bit worse in the United States, especially during the Civil War. So they kind of um, decided that maybe America is not the best place for black Americans. And Justin Holland was actually the secretary of something called the Central American Land Deal. So they were, he was working with a group of people to purchase some land in Central America to be a safe haven for, for black Americans during the Civil War. Unfortunately, that deal did not go through. It was rejected on the side in, in Central America. So um, Haiti opens its borders and it said um, that Justin Holland moved to Haiti with his family for two years during the Civil War, but um, there just weren't as many opportunities there for him. And he came back two years later and again settled in Cleveland. So, yeah, I mean, he was part of those conventions. He was also a Freemason and spent a lot of time trying to bring equality to the black Freemasons as well. They were able to gain recognition for the American black Masons in countries like Germany, Italy, France, Hungary, Peru and a couple of other countries. And it was pretty interesting because Justin Holland was able to speak several different languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, and German. So the black Freemasons, you know, he was the representative going to, you know, pitch the Freemasons to these different countries. But even with gaining his uh, acceptance as, as a black Freemason to all those different countries, they still weren't recognized in America, and the white Freemasons still kept it completely separate and wouldn't recognize the black Freemasons as equals. So, you know, he spent a lot of his time trying to create equality. I think he succeeded in some ways, but, you know, obviously times were still really tough. And he even had to leave Cleveland. Um, uh, he, he passed away in, in New Orleans, and part of it is because the tensions in Cleveland were getting worse and worse. And, um, you know, they were kind of getting relegated. Black Americans were getting relegated to just lower paid jobs and kind of getting a little bit more segregated. So um, he had to leave and move to New Orleans where it was a little bit more accepting.
was Justin Holland so influential as a guitarist in America in the 19th century? What was it he did that really made him um, stand out? Yeah, there are several factors to this. I think first were his arrangements. He started making arrangements for his students, and his students would pass them around, and they started becoming really popular, and it caught the attention of a very po uh, popular publisher back then. It was called S. Brainyard & Sons. And um, he became kind of their house guitar publisher. So any new popular tune that would come out, Justin Holland would be the person to arrange those tunes. You know, like on my album, the pieces like Home Sweet Home, Near My God to Thee. When they were arranged onto the guitar for this American publisher, Justin Holland would be the person to do it. But I think the thing that really put him as a household name to guitarists in America were his uh, two method books. And these method books, because of his intense study of classical guitar and the methods of Fernando Sor and, and uh, Caruli and Aguado, he kind of took from those method books and made his own comprehensive method book using a lot of his own arrangements, but also pieces by Carcassi and Sor and Giuliani and all of them. And then creating something that he felt that just was missing in America at the time. And that's just, you know, a method book that really goes through everything. He goes through the key signatures. He goes through scales. He does really in-depth work on harmonics, which he felt just were ignored in most method books. So he was trying to, to make, like, there's this really famous method book now called Pumping Nylon by Scott Tennant. And I, you know, as I look through Justin Holland's method, it's, I almost consider it the pumping nylon of the 19th century, you know, <laughs> taking from all these great methods and making it into his own. It sounds like you probably use these method books with your students, is that right? I do, yeah. My students love them. It's great. Yeah. Yep. You mentioned you had about a stack about two feet high of Justin Holland music. How did you decide what to record for this new release? So the, the music I have, I have a lot of guitar duos. Um, I have voice and guitar. And I have opera arrangements. And then I have arrangements of popular folk tunes. Uh, and just popular songs. And not just folk tunes, but popular songs of the time. And I decided that I wanted to do a solo album. And then, so that kind of cut out a lot of the music. And then I decided when, when talking with Noxos, we decided that it would be great to, to not include any of the opera on this recording and just have recordings of the um, popular tunes of the time. And so I just, you know, sat down and read through every single one, spent days and days, you know, put my wife through some torture of just sitting there and saying, what do you think of this one? What do you think of this one? What do you think of this one? So just whittling it down from, you know, 50 to 60 pieces down to, to 14 of what I thought would be something that would really catch the attention of listeners. I think they're all really beautiful uh, arrangements, but there's definitely um, some, I think, in there that just caught my ear more than others. So there, there were a few pieces that I knew that I wanted to record before stepping into the project, like Carnival of Venice. You know, that's kind of Justin Holland's 
pinnacle arrangement and every guitar composer from the 19th century did their version of Carnival of Venice. You know, uh, Johann Caspar Meritz did his Carnival of Venice and Targa did Carnival of Venice. And honestly, I remember one time playing Carnival of Venice for, it was like at a guitar festival or something. And I was just reading through the Carnival of Venice and his guitarist came up to me. They're like, what is that, Rigondi? And I was like, oh, this is Justin Holland. They're like, who? And so it was, it was kind of cool. Um, to, to tell him like, oh no, this is like, you know, an arrangement of Carnival Venice by a black composer. And then, you know, it starts off with a very beautiful arpeggiated theme that, that you can hear the Carnival of Venice theme. Um, it does all different kinds of things. There's a variation with, with harmonics. There's, there's variations with like really intricate and quick pull-offs that almost, you know, are reminiscent of, of the metal music that came, you know, hundred something years later. He has variations with these quick, rapid arpeggios that just fly up and down the neck. He just takes us on this adventure through all, almost just every technique. It's basically a culmination of his uh, method books into a piece. You know, it's like everything that he talks about, scales, arpeggios, harmonics, pull-offs, slurs, all within that one piece. And so that was one of them. Another one that I really wanted to record for a long time was the Rochester Scottish and Delta Kappa Epsilon March, and a few others as well. And of course, the piece called Enandante, which is the one surviving composition of Justin Holland. So a lot of these pieces on the album are arrangements. You know, honestly, the theme and variation pieces, I they are arrangements, but I don't know if I would consider them calling them arranged by Justin Holland. I think they're interpretations of, of these pieces, just like Fernando Soar's uh, variations on uh, the theme of Mozart's Magic Flute. It's really famous, probably one of Fernando Soar's most famous pieces, but it's not, you know, the Magic Flute arranged by Fernando Soar. So, you know, I consider quite a few of these pieces original compositions, but as in just fully original composition would be an, an Andante by Justin Holland. And he has several other compositions that historians have said that he composed, but unfortunately those are lost. I think they said that he composed up to 30 original compositions and hopefully someday someone will find those. As you were playing these through for your wife, who was listening attentively, which one or two did she go, oh yes, absolutely, this has to be on the recording? I think the two that she said absolutely had to be on the recording were uh, Maiden's Prayer. My wife is from Indonesia, and Maiden's Prayer is very popular throughout Asia and, and, and Southeast Asia. So she, when I played through that, she was like, oh my gosh, I used to listen to that all the time when I was a little kid. You have to record it. And I, it's, it's such an amazing arrangement. I've seen other guitarists play other arrangements online that I feel like just 
aren't even half as good as Justin Holland's arrangements. So hopefully this Holland arrangement will get out there more because it is a very popular tune. So I think Maiden's Prayer and the Carnival of Venice was the other one that she said, you have to, you have to put this on the album. Can you identify for me a piece that's on your new recording that maybe is something we haven't heard before um, that's a little rarer along the Justin Holland side of things with respect to pieces that may have been recorded or are getting some attention? Is there something on here that's like, oh, here's a piece that people probably haven't heard before? Yeah, I'd say the first track on the album, Delta Kappa Epsilon March. And that was composed by someone named Alfred Pease, who actually was a part of Delta Kappa Epsilon back in the 1800s. And it's a very, very interesting piece. You know, it's, it's like almost a college fight song, this really epic, you know, rhythm starting, driving right from the beginning. And it's, it's just like a quintessential American march. And, you know, through just as much research as I can do, I, I couldn't believe that the piece had not only never been recorded by a guitarist, but I couldn't even find any recordings of a pianist playing it. And that, and you know, I didn't even look into that until after I recorded the piece. But it's just a piece that I always was in love with. You know, as soon as I played it for the first time years ago, I was like, this piece definitely has to be recorded someday because it's so different. You know, it's you can't get more American than playing, you know, this kind of college fight song on the classical guitar written by an American named Alfred Pease, arranged by an American named Justin Holland. It's like it's the most quintessential American thing that you can do on the guitar. So that's 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 why I chose to start my album with, with that piece. Um, a couple of others that I think have never been recorded before. this really beautiful piece called Stephanie Gavat. It's the first time that's been recorded on the guitar. And another one, Pearls of Dew. There's there's quite a few, actually, that um, have never been, you know, possibly even heard by other people before. So I'm really excited to include those on the album. I didn't, I didn't want to just put an album of, you know, Justin Holland's greatest hits, I guess you can say. I don't know if, you know, he's still so unknown that, but, you know, within the the classical guitar world and even more niche, the Justin Holland enthusiast, I didn't want to play just the greatest hits. Christopher, as you were putting this project together, what did you discover about yourself? Maybe it was even something that surprised you. Oh, that's a, that's a really good question. I think I discovered that um, not all 
music and and guitar playing has to be incredibly virtuosic. You know, it doesn't have to be just like this show of how fast can you play scales and you know what like <laughs> how fast can you play with the metronome. You know, it's with this album I really just wanted to to have kind of early American music feeling. It's like pre-ragtime is like this BMG banjo mandolin guitar movement type of of feeling, you know. And so what as I was playing through this, I didn't want to just especially with pieces like Carnival of Venice and Delta Kappa Epsilon, I didn't I found myself for the first time not just wanting to to play something really fast. I actually wanted to to think about the music and put myself in maybe a parlor or put myself in a house concert where Justin Holland was playing at the time and, and kind of put myself in, in the shoes of, of someone who's playing the music at that time and thinking about how they would play it on the guitar. And I think that's really one of the biggest things that really just kind of opened my mind musically and also just to be open-minded about um, the music that I play. And hopefully, you know, other people will think about that as well. I think one of the biggest things that people say about Justin Hall, and I mentioned earlier, is that they feel like they immediately write him off. It's like his 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 arrangements are horrible. Like or it's like it's not virtuosic. It's not as good as as Fernando Sor. It's not as good as Giuliani. And that's why I really wanted to spend a lot of time picking the repertoire that I did for this album because I honestly do think that it stands up to a lot of that other music, and you know, and it's new music too. You know, it's. All the time I hear people, um, including myself, you know, <laughs> saying uh, there's there's, you know, I need some new music. There's there's not a lot of new music out there. But with this album, it's just or with just the music of Justin Holland in general, there is a lot of new music and not just new music from Europe, new music that's from America. Why is that important to you to have American music? Honestly, I think it's important for me because um, for several reasons, because, you know, <laughs> Being American, I think it's really, it's great that we do have homegrown music here from the classical era. We don't really think that there's any classical music from America. Even when I go, you know, I, I do a lot of community engagement in schools um, across the United States and like St. Louis and Cleveland and Austin and stuff. And I'll ask the students there, you know, what do you think of when you think of classical music or classical guitar? And Honestly, I've heard this answer more than a dozen times. It said, dead white guys and wigs. <laughs> and then I'm like, well, wait a minute. Here's something for you guys. And then I'll play a piece by Justin Holland, or I'll play a piece by my former professor at Yale, Ben Verdery, who's a classical guitarist, living classical guitarist. And I think it blows their minds that, wow, you know, there is music that is from our own home. There's music from black composers and that's the other thing too it's not just american music it's music that it was arranged by an african-american and that's the biggest part of why i want to help spread this music and why it's important for me to play american music if somebody picks up your new recording what would you say to them to get them to actually listen to it what would i say to them to get them to actually listen to it i would say um if you want to hear some really <laughs> some really new exciting music um, that you've never heard before, you know, this is the recording to listen to. If you want to hear music that you've probably heard a million times, pieces like Home Sweet Home and things like that, you know, these very popular tunes, but you want to hear it in a classical style of the 19th century, this is the album to get. So I think those are two things that I would say 
would hopefully get people excited to listen to them. And also, I think one other thing that I would tell guitarists is that if you want some new repertoire for your own concerts, to listen to this album to give you some ideas of, of different music to play, because I, you know, I would love to see Justin Holland's music programmed more in concerts, and not just by black guitarists, you know, <laughs> by by everybody. That's that's really the goal of this, and I hope that someday I'll go to one of these major guitar series and see one of these huge touring artists playing a piece by Justin Holland. A new recording with guitar works and arrangements of Justin Holland featuring guitarist Christopher Mallett. Thanks to Valerie Kaler, our producer for new classical tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julie Almacher.